everyone, and welcome to Sounds of Science, a series of podcasts organized by UCOOP, the European trade body representing small and medium-sized companies active in pharmaceuticals and medical technologies. My name is Laurent Louet. I am Senior Manager of Communications and Public Affairs at UCOOP, and I will be the host for today's um, episode. Before we go on, please make sure to subscribe to our channels and follow us on social media or on our website www.ucope.org to receive the latest updates. We will focus today on the recent discussions around the European Commission proposal for a health technology assessment, what we call HDA regulation. HDA is the systematic evaluation of properties, effects, and or impacts of a health technology. It is a multidisciplinary process to evaluate the social, economic, and ethical issues of a health intervention or a health technology. The main purpose of HDA is to inform a policy decision-making by governments. And we'll discuss today how the proposal from the Commission to streamline HDA processes in the EU could be a game-changer and why it has so far received mixed appraisal from member states. We are very happy to be joined today by two experts in the field, um, Anna Palma and Alexander Natz. Anna, you are Senior Director, Global Head of Market Access and uh, Access Policy at Sobi, a Swedish biopharma company um, developing therapies for rare disease in hematology, immunology and specialty care. And you are also a member of the UNETA initiative representing UCO. Hello, Anna. Hello. Next to you is Alexander Natz. Um, Alexander, you are UCOP Secretary General and a long experience in national and European medicines environments. Hello, Alexander. Hi, Laurent. Before we deep dive into our discussions, um, let's maybe go back and start from the initial proposal from the Commission and the rationale behind its objective of a streamlined and harmonized HTA system in Europe. Anna, simply put it, why do we need a EU HTA? Yeah, thanks, Laurent. So, as you may know, health technology assessment um, is the formal step that follows regulatory approval ahead of actually patients getting access to the treatments. Now, after getting marketing authorization approval by the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, the marketing authorization holder or the company actually needs to submit an application or a request for reimbursement to the local HTA bodies. Now, such bodies, um, they will actually assess the clinical and the economic value of a given technology or a medicine in relation to other medicines that are already reimbursed in that given country. Now, the issue in Europe is that while there is only one centralized regulatory procedure at EMA level, as I said before, when it comes to reimbursement, that same drug will need to be assessed in each individual member state. And in some member states, still regional and local assessments will have to be undertaken after the national one. So bottom line, you have to deal with more than 27 procedures, which are all different in type, different in requirements, in length, you know, you can go from one month to three years, depending on the country, and also very often different in outcome. So this means that a patient in France, for instance, may get access to a drug that a a patient in, in like Belgium will not get access to, or even that a patient in the north of Spain 
may get access to a drug while another patient in the south of Spain, the same country, will not. So even disparities within the same country can happen. Now, as, as per this complexity, you may well imagine why the dream of having HTA being done you know, in a centralized EU level is very appealing. Just like it was done for the regulatory process actually um, 20 years ago, which at that time was also done in each individual member state. So with such um, an EU HTA, we potentially can avoid duplication, we can streamline resources, and hence also accelerate access to the treatments for patients who so desperately need them. Um, particularly in the case of rare diseases, I have to say, where treatments are so scarce and, and the disease is uh, severe and, and often life-threatening. Thank you, Anna. And, and um, I guess this is in line with the, you know, with the problem that the original commission I'll try to resolve, right, Alex, to have this harmonized approach towards HTA processes. Absolutely. I, I think it's critical to have um, such a one-stop shop in, on the clinical part for, for a health technology assessment. It's, as Anna alluded to, it's, it's very important from the patient perspective. Um, we are, at the end of the day, we're talking about the same product, so there's no reason really to look at it, to, to look at the clinical value of the same product from 27 different perspectives. So indeed, it, it is a critical um, uh, a piece of legislation which and, and a critical proposal the Commission has put forward in that respect and, and we are definitely very much uh, behind uh, this proposal of the European Commission and we hope that this can be taken uh, any further. So indeed uh, a critical piece uh, in my opinion as well. So basically three years after the Commission proposal, Council finally agreed some, some days ago on a compromise text. Why did it take so long? I mean do member states disagree with the principle of a more harmonized system? Um, Anna, what do you think? Yeah, so as you already said in the beginning, Laurent, HTA is essentially what drives reimbursement decisions. And so ultimately, it's also very tied in with the national budgets. As you know, all budget-related matters are a competence of um, each of the individual member states. And I would say that anything that can impact national budgets and, you know, potentially national sovereignty, understandingly, gets member states very, very nervous. We know that science is global, but budgets are, of course, very local. I'd say, in addition to that, um, another consideration to make is that the level of maturity of the different HCA bodies in Europe varies from country to country. And so does, you know, the national legislation under which technologies like medicines need to be assessed. So it seems to me that attempting to harmonize scientific and evidence requirements to a perceived lower common denominator is felt by the more developed HCA bodies as you know, not up to their standard. So in a nutshell, I would say that nobody disagrees with a more harmonized system, but only as long as it's done my way and not your way. I think it's a little bit like that. You know, as you can imagine, in such contexts, finding a consensus has not been an easy task and uh, ultimately building trust takes time. Yeah, I, I agree, Anna. And um, I mean, Alex, I mean, UCOP has been very active in, in this field, meeting with many stakeholders and, and policy makers. How does the Council compromise that was recently reached Differ from the Commission proposal, and and what are your concerns? Yeah, I would I would just also to add to what what Anna said and agree very much. First of all, I think the the hesitation from member states comes very much from uh, from the fact that they fear that there is an impact on on their budget, on their healthcare budget, and 
if a compare what we call a comparator in a health technology assessment, usually you benchmark against other product. In, and if that comparator is chosen at the EU level, that comparator usually has a price. And I think that's where there's some hesitation coming in from the member state level because Ultimately, in, a, in, a, in an HTA leads to a price negotiation at the end of this assessment, even though that's a national decision, if a comparator has been chosen, which is high price or low price, it might have an impact on those national price negotiations indeed. And there, I think that's where the hesitation comes from. Um, now, talking really about this compromise proposal, I mean, the Germans have been paving the ground for this Portuguese uh, uh, proposal. I think it is it is understandable that the national um, decision makers uh, have something to debate about this proposal. But I think what the Commission has proposed and what is so critical for industry, that there is no duplication of this exercise, that actually what we're doing at the East EU level is actually uh, replacing the national submission processes on the clinical part. It's only about the clinical part of the uh, assessment, but that's critical from the industry perspective because otherwise we feel that we're adding on, on complexity, that we're adding on ad administrative uh, procedures. And what the uh, compromise proposal does, it, it, is, it makes uh, legally binding the piece of data on the table of all those assessments bodies, but it gives them the complete discretion to assess this set of data. And I think just by saying that a data set is, is to be looked at, it doesn't necessarily lead to the same conclusions on this uh, clinical part of this assessment. So I think we very much favor the commission approach to really say, we need to make sure that there's no duplication and we fear that what um, the, the compromise proposal is introducing is just data gathering exercise, but it's not really ensuring that there's no duplication at the national level. Actually, it is it is highlighted that there is an option for duplication. Um, so I think that's what we see rather um, critically uh, on the compromise proposal. Thank you, Alex. Anna, from your from Sobi's point of view, how do you see this proposal um, impacting Sobi and, and the patients you serve in, in the end? Yeah, so I want to start by saying that I completely share Alex's views here. Um, you know, in my opinion, even if I'm extremely pleased, I have to underline this, I'm extremely pleased to see the situation finally moving from the council standpoint. It is really important to keep the ambition at the right level for this piece of regulation. For instance, the removal of the transition period I see this as a risk because after all this time in the cooking, you know, we need to ensure that the community does not again have to wait too long for the regulation to be implemented and, and, and does not have to wait too long until it starts actually yielding results. We also can't start with too few products. So I think this needs to be ensured. Another concern is to restrict the number of early dialogues. Um, early dialogues, in my opinion, should really be seen as a service, right? As, as a sort of an investment in optimizing further down the road the match between the evidence that the company needs to submit with the HTA requirements. So such early engagement should rather be encouraged, in my opinion, and certainly not restricted. And then finally, what clearly is the most critical point in this discussion, the uptake of the joint work at the national level um, is, as I said, another great concern, um, which needs to have a legal framework around 
around, as Alex was alluding to, or we risk to fail. Uh, simply, the original intent of this collaboration, which originally was to streamline national procedures, um, you know, and and we risk instead to create another layer of complexity. So, for companies, this would mean again spoiled resources, again further delays in access, which ultimately, as you know, impact patients uh, so negatively. Thank you, Anna. And I think, you know, I mean, one point that I, I can maybe take from your um, comment is that indeed um, we are pleased to see this is going forward, and but probably we need more, a little bit more uh, ambition there. And Alex, in terms of um, innovative treatments, Yuko represents companies developing ATMPs, very complex products. How can uh, EU harmonized HTA system help Europe remain at the forefront of innovation? And um, because we know that um, the potential HTA regulation will be there for 10, 15 years, maybe. So we need to have a really future-proof text that will allow innovative treatments like ATMPs, but also, of course, a very complex oncology product to to, um, to reach patients. How can this harmonized system help OMP products or rare disease products? Indeed, I mean, this, this procedure would be very helpful. It would be a major step forward if we would uh, we take the commission approach uh, on, on, this, on this file, um, especially uh, for patients with a rare disease, especially for companies which are bringing um, rare disease medicines, orphan products uh, to the market. And especially if we're talking about ultra rare diseases, it is very important to have that one-stop shop to bring innovation to the market. When you speak to colleagues from the other side of the Atlantic, they, they definitely have an issue with filing 27 different applications for an ultra rare disease in 27 different countries. When we have one marketing authorization, the product can be released to the market. But it's not paid for because the company has not undergone those 27 processes. And let me be very clear, industry is very much committed to undergoing HTA processes. This is this is what we've been seeing developing over the last uh, uh, 10 to 15 years. So it's very critical really to have those processes. But we need to streamline those processes. That's uh, really important. And also we need to have a legally binding outcome on the clinical part of the assessment because otherwise, to repeat myself, here, I think we are fearing additional burden. And again, it's it's critical for ultra-rare diseases because you might only have a few patients in Europe and it's critical for ATMPs where there is a lot of technology involved that we have a one-stop shop. Again, ultimately, we are talking about the same product while making, while putting 27 different perspectives. So um, definitely, it would be a major step forward to answer your question if we had such a system in place. Thank you, Alex. Anna, you also represent UCOP at UNETA. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about this initiative and what is their role in, in this debate? And, um, you know, maybe you can also share with, with us and with our listeners some um, insights or updates on the initiative and whether they will play, they will continue to play a role um, in, in the coming years as well. Sure. So it's a long question. Let me start by telling a little bit of history, perhaps, about UNETA and, and about, about this institution. So. UNETA stands for European Network for Health Technology Assessment and actually exists already since 2006. So, you know, it's been around for already 15 years. It's incredible, just to put that in words. Um, it was back in 2004, actually, when the European Commission and the Council of Ministers targeted health technology assessment as a political priority. 
And also when they recognized that there was an urgent need to establish a sustainable European network on HTA. So these were the, the words at the time. And then after a commission call uh, one year later, the first UNETA project actually started in 2006. Now, that project was then followed by three lengthy joint actions. And just to quickly skim through what was the focus of those three joint actions, the first one actually focused on refining the collaboration and in the development of methodological guidelines, which included the very famous HTA Core model at the time. The next joint action, so joint action two, um, was then all about piloting the practical use of those developed guidelines. And then finally, joint action three was all about production. So essentially running the exercise in a larger scale and hence seen as the final stage of establishing a so-called permanent HTA working structure for Europe. Now, in terms of the role of UNETA in the current discussion, in my view, UNETA is simply the living proof that it is possible for different national HTA organizations to work together to jointly produce valuable products, you know, including the very famous uh, relative effectiveness assessment reports, which is this joint clinical assessment works that we refer to and which uptake by member states, as we have already discussed, is pretty much at the heart of the current um, EU regulation debate. So in my view, UNETA has proven that you know, from a technological point of view, from a methodological, cultural, and even human perspective, it is possible to produce joint work. However, of course, it remains to be seen whether the political will will actually follow suit. Now, with regards to your last question, you know, will UNETA continue to play an active part in this debate? Again, UNETA has built an incredible momentum, which we cannot afford to lose. This is my very firm conviction. It took a long time to build these relationships, to build trust among HTA bodies, and such trust needs to be nurtured to continue to exist. That's also why it's um, so critical that this regulation finally sees the light. You know, the regulation will bring the legal framework um, and will build further on that trust and on the capabilities that were able to be developed until now. And UNETA shall, and in my opinion, will, of course, be at the heart of the future of HTA in Europe. If I may, um, I think that at this crucial point in time, we need to be bold in that the regulation is to have the right level of ambition. We can't just focus you know, on today's compromise by the council. We, we need to focus on tomorrow. The regulation needs to be good enough, as you said, for the next 10 to 20 years, as it will be here to stay. Additionally, this piece of regulation will, without any doubt, have a significant impact on the pharmaceutical strategy in Europe, also for the next decade. So also for that, it is really important to get it right and to get it meaningful so that the EU remains a competitive uh, space. And then last but not least, in my opinion, only by doing so, you know, we will be making justice to the 15 years that ultimately patients have been waiting to see their legitimate rights to access treatments improve, and this regardless of where they live in, in the EU. Thank you very much, Anna. I think this is a perfect conclusion to this uh, podcast today. Thank you again, Anna and, and Alex, for your time today. And uh, to our listeners, um, stay tuned for the next episode of UCOP Sons of Science every two Fridays on your podcast platforms. Thank you all and have a good day. <laughs>